It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. I am Steve Cofield. Come on and do it with me. The tight shorts typhoon. I'm like a, a leaf blower. I'm like a wood chipper. I'm like a, a blender on puree. I need you. I am Steve Cofield. 351 pounds, allegedly. Even if he does look like Eric Gregg ate James Tony. Now I'm very angry. With Steve Cofield. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday. Getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Partying, partying. Friday, 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 NFL Draft Friday, which makes Friday even better, an NFL Draft Friday after those have made a first-round pick. So we'll get to uh, all of the deal with Alex Leatherwood. He's the newest Las Vegas Raider. A lot of reaction tonight, a lot of reaction today. And, of course, the Raiders were right back on the clock for picks number 48, two more picks, uh, pick number 48, and then two more picks in the third round, Adam Candy is here. It's Cofield, Ari along as well. Candy, you fired up. We got a lot to talk about, a lot of teams to grade, and especially cover what happened locally yesterday with uh, Al Leatherwood. I'm feeling like I need to guard myself a little bit against emotion um, because I felt myself last night uh, get that giant pit in my stomach when we were talking on the live podcast about the fact that the Raiders couldn't screw it up. It was impossible. Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback, said very clearly there's so many good choices on the board that the Raiders can't possibly mess it up. And then you could probably see our reaction, hear our reaction when somehow they they did. We'll get to it. That's coming up in five minutes. I've thought a little more about it, listening to some of the uh, other Raider experts in the area. So we'll get some of the criticism, some of the questions around the selection of Alex Leatherwood. So four o'clock is when the second and third round start. Hopefully no Kings of Leon so that we get started around four, not 445. Um, on the Kuiper big board from before the draft, there are still seven guys out of the top 32. Seven guys out of the top 32 who are available. Uh, we'll give you some of the names in just a little bit as we get you set for Bach, uh, Pro Football Focus also has their updated top 100 available. Interesting names. Interesting names. And I want to get to the discussion. Should the Raiders be aggressive and use one of those third rounders to move up into the top 10 of the second round? But that's coming up. Uh, let's start the selection of Alex Leatherwall. We'll talk about mock drafts and ratings and rankings of offensive linemen and where he's going to play. We should mention, Candy, that these are massive moments for these players and their families. Alex Leatherwood, you know, just stepped into millions of dollars, lots of responsibility. Sure, this was a dream like every player in the draft, a dream that he's been, you know, thinking about forever. And now he's a first round pick with the Raiders and likely the starting right tackle coming out. This is really cool. And, uh, well, Leatherwood on the press conference last night talked about his motivation. He did mention, hey, you know what? I've been paying attention to you know, where I was supposed to go, what people were saying about me, and that's going to drive me. It definitely put a chip on my shoulder, you know what I mean? It bothered me a little bit, but at the same time, I'm not like, I'm not a media guy. I'm not the type of dude to get like caught up in all that garbage because I know what my film said about me and the GM and the scouts, they know that as well, you know what I mean? So um, 
I'm just grateful that, um, you know, they watched that film and the, um, they saw me as good enough to be the 17th overall pick. You know what I mean? So I'm more than excited to get to the program and, um, and prove them right. Not necessarily like prove the haters, the people who made all the mock drafts and all this stuff wrong, but to prove myself and the Raiders organization right. What do you think, Candy? I mean, those are stock answers, right? Haters prove the media wrong. It's not the media. This isn't about the media. And I understand why Alex Leatherwood's got to get up there and say it. What, what would you expect, right? You would expect the guy to say, I'm better than everybody else thinks I was. But I'll just give you a little sample because I know we're going to spend a lot of time on this today. But here's what Pro Football Focus said when they watched the tape. They said he gave up the edge routinely to speed rushers this past season and earned a 73 blocking grade. It was a recurring theme on his tape dating all the way back to going against LSU and Kalevon Chason in 2019 and extending through the Senior Bowl. So this is people who break down tape for a living saying that that's what they saw on the tape. All right. That's some people who do this for a living. There are others in the National Football League. We don't know their grades. We don't know what the Raiders were looking at. So I'm open to seeing what the guy is going to do. I'm a little bit up in the air on what position he's going to play. And hell, if he's Quentin Nelson, second best guard in the league, then I guess the 17th pick is worth it. I would think at 17, you're hoping for someone who's a guaranteed tackle candidate and eventually a left tackle. Now, they don't need a left tackle anytime soon unless there's some sort of injury to Colt Miller. So that's the question at hand. What do they just take here? What's the upside of Alex Leatherwood? And the other question is, without knowing what everyone around the NFL had on their boards, it's another case, Adam Candy, where the Raiders seem to have grabbed a guy who may have been available later in the draft, and they just don't play the draft game. They're not much interested in the first round in dropping back, and I don't know if they're right or wrong. I, I know this. Uh, Colton Miller was used as an example a lot last night, and I don't think that tells the whole story of what the Raiders have done over the years in the draft, but just to tell you, you know, repeatedly when people were coming at uh, some of the Raiders media, those who liked the pick and who were backing the pick of Alex Leatherwood, and are like, you know, the same thing was said about Colton Miller – You know, look at how that's worked out. Well, the same thing has been said about at least five or six other guys, and those guys haven't worked out. So what do you think about the Colton Miller defense of Alex Leatherwood? The Colton Miller defense does not hold water, and there's a reason for that. Because if you look at who Colton Miller was thought to be before the draft three years ago, then you see that Colton Miller was expected to be a first-round pick. He was not a guy who had a middle-of-the-second-round grade like Alex Leatherwood. There were questions about Colton Miller. He might have been a reach of a bit, what, maybe seven, eight picks based on where we had seen him mock to go, at least based on what I recall going into that draft. He was not a guy who was a consensus miss, who was a consensus not only if you were drafting best player available a miss, but a miss if you were drafting to need. There were better players than him at his position on the board. If the Raiders want to zig when everyone else zags, okay, but the results eventually have to be there, and you just said it, Steve. There are more misses than hits by them using this philosophy. We're going to open the phones about this pick. 364-1100-364-1100. I know our guys on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, liked it. JT the Brick was uh, defending the pick. He was strong on it. Uh, Vinny Bonsignor, he liked the pick. Lincoln Kennedy, he also liked the pick. 
Are you on their side or are you on the side of Adam Candy? 364-1100. And we're going to hear from Mike Mayock after he made the pick last night as uh, he described why they like Leatherwood so much. But the phones are open. 364-1100 early on a Friday as we got the second and third rounds kicking off here at 4 o'clock. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. The phones are always open on Cofield and Company. Call 702-364-1100 now. Raiders take Alex Leatherwood, number 17. A lot of folks or Raiders fans were upset. You know, a lot of that's based on mock drafts. And we tell you all the time, a lot of the mock drafts cannibalize each other. So you're going to see the same players expected to go in the first round. Well, Leatherwood was not expected to go in the first round, but I have seen him rated uh, crazy high by some uh, services out there. But uh, for the most part, the ratings that I saw have him at 72, 54, 27, 60. Uh, Todd McShay had him at number 60 on the big board, but number two at guard. And that's the other big question. Is he a right tackle or is he a right guard? And a lot of the questions around what Mike Mayock and the Raiders and Gruden did here is could you have gotten your guy? Because clearly they love Alabama players and they love the advice of Nick Saban and they really like Alex Leatherwood. We'll hear from Mike Mayock in a little bit. Uh, could you have gotten Leatherwood later and actually gotten some value? It's that whole draft game. It's the same exact thing we talked about last year with Damon Arnett going at number 19. 364 1100. Early chance to get your reaction in before the second round starts, but people were very fired up last night. There were a lot of defenders of the pick as well. Brandon starts us out here on a Friday Cofield and Company. Brandon? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. You know, last night was just so frustrating because it just follows the pattern of them reaching, them being obsessed with Alabama, Clemson players. And it's just frustrating because, you know, Gruden acts like he's the smartest guy in the league, and it's just it's not there. And it just feels like the franchise is just on bad footing. And last night was frustrating as it's been, you know, with Cleveland Farrell and Arnett and all these guys. It just it doesn't feel good. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, you know, we absolutely understand, you know, where you're coming from on that because you mentioned a number of other players that Steve was referencing earlier on. You talk about Cleve Farrell a guy who had probably a mid-first-round grade on him that the Raiders took at number four. You referenced Damon Arnett, a guy that was a consensus reach as probably an early second-round pick who went in the middle to the Raiders. And it's not about where the media has people. It's not about where the mocks say they're supposed to go. It's about the fact that if the market believes that player is worth $5 and you draft him as though he's worth 10 then essentially what you did was when you could have gotten the market to trade up, you could have moved back to the $5 range and gotten your guy when someone else could have come up and gotten someone they think is a consensus in the $10 range. That's the idea. Play the game. Play the game the way the other 31 teams do because it doesn't matter whether you evaluate players the same. It just matters whether you evaluate them and then get them in the right spot. Tom is up next, reacting to the Raiders' first-round pick, number 17, Alex Leatherwood, a surprise for many. Hey, Tom. Hey, what's up, Goldfield? Fire away, buddy. So, uh, I really, I mean, I guess I understand it because a, a lot of the fan base and the people complaining are the same people that say Carr, you know, we should get rid of Carr because, you know, the next Peyton Manning is just out there. Let's just go acquire him, you know. Like, magically, he's just going to fall into the franchise's lap. It's ridiculous. I mean, the bottom line is the guy started at Alabama, and people are acting like he's some seventh or eighth 
best tackle in the in the whole damn draft. I mean, it's ridiculous. If if Saban thought he was good enough to start, Tom Cable approves of him and, and said he was the best player on his whole board. Like, I mean, the Raiders' philosophy is run to set up the pass, right? Classic West Coast offense. So, uh, I mean, Jacobs last year fell off big time. And you got Rodney Hudson who said, I don't want to be here anymore. They're forced to get rid of him. What can they do? Um, all you can do is rebuild the line. I mean, granted, there are other needs, but you're probably not going to address all those needs in one draft. So when people freak out and say, oh, my God, we need a corner, we need a linebacker, we do. But we also need the line to function well enough to facilitate the offense. All right, Tom. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Tom has his say. So he says trust in Saban. He ties together the folks who want to move on car to this pick, which I I don't know if they're the same people. I wouldn't wouldn't use the broad stroke on all of them. And I don't you I saw you where uh, I saw you raise your your eyebrows on the Hudson thing. Was did we just learn something there? They had to get rid of Hudson. I don't recall Rodney Hudson making some sort of stink about wanting out of the Las Vegas Raiders organization, but I understand that there's probably stuff that I don't see from day to day. Um, I want to address the car thing real quick because I have been someone and I have, I have tape on this going back to 2017 when I started talking about this on the radio here in Las Vegas, where I have defended Derek Carr as an above average NFL quarterback and said that you can win with Derek Carr. The Raiders can win with Derek Carr. Derek Carr had a lot of very, very good moments last year. Derek Carr is not being thrown to the side for just about anybody. But when we sit this here this offseason, and it's been Russell Wilson, and it's been Aaron Rodgers, then I can't defend keeping Derek Carr if those guys were truly available. So no, they're not the same people. You would take Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers over Derek Carr every day of the week and don't tell me otherwise. 364-1100, 364-1100, 364-1100, Alex Leatherwood, surprising 17th pick by the Raiders. Mike Mayock uh, talked last night and uh, immediately got into uh, one of the, the first issues or first questions is, where does Leatherwood slate in on that line? Is he a guard or a tackle? He can play inside and outside, but he's going to start at right tackle for us day one, and uh, we're going to see if he can hold on to that job. All right. Well, we're going to find out where he's going to play. Denzel Good can play both positions, so we'll see if Leatherwood is going to be the guy long-term at right tackle. Here's Mayock talking about the really the big story is there's no issue. Well, I guess you could have some issues with Alex Leatherwood. It's where a lot of people had him rated, right? Uh, could you have gotten him later on? Maybe he would be available at 48 today. Maybe he could be available via trade if you moved up. If you move back and you get extra picks, uh, here's Mayock on thinking about trading back. Yeah, there were a lot of conversations about it. Um I thought a couple things might happen that did not happen that I was totally open for. Uh, when we got Just when we were getting on the clock, a team did call us and inquired about moving up, but they gave us a very poor trade offer, and it was a team that needed a tackle. So uh, the combination of the poor offer and their need kind of pushed us away from that. But, yeah, there were a lot of conversations about it, and, you know, there's a risk-reward scenario, and in this case, we didn't feel like it was worth it. All right. So he said the offer was poor. That's a team that needed a tackle. Uh, keep in mind, at 17, Leatherwood, Christian Darasaw, Tevin Jenkins is still on the board now. Some of those guys were still on the board. 
What do you think of that, Candy, that he said he got a bad offer? And uh, it, this is very reminiscent of the talk around Damon Arnett a year ago. Mike Mayock said that, and in the same press conference, said that they knew the pick would be controversial because they valued Leatherwood differently than other teams did. Those two things don't work together logically, right? Because if you say you're worried that that other team that offered you a trade to come up was interested in taking a tackle, then you also believe that that other team was not going to take Alex Leatherwood. You just said, you just said you thought that it was going to be controversial because you had a better grade on him than everyone else did. So were you that worried that someone else was coming to get the guy? You shouldn't have been. And what qualifies as poor value? If you're being given another pick, any other pick, to move back a few spots, when, like you just said, Cofield, it could be Leatherwood, it could be Tevin Jenkins, it could be any of a number of guys who are still on the board at that point, then what's the definition of a poor offer? You said you knew that a pick would be controversial. I mean, I, why do you think that? Why would it be controversial, you think? Well, I mean, when we made the pick, we had the TVs on, and, and obviously, uh, I think I forget which group it was, but they were saying they could have had him in the second round and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I understand that. The fan base is going to listen to that, and the fan base is going to question it. Which media group? Try all. <laughs> it doesn't matter which one was on. Yeah, You're welcome to go find me the media group that is not Raider Nation Radio that said this was a good pick. This was not a good pick. Get this clear through your heads right now. In 2021, in terms of managing the NFL draft, this was a poor use of draft capital. Alex Leatherwood might end up being a very good player for the Raiders, and I hope for their sake that he is. I hope for the kids' sake that he is. But that being said, this was a poor use of your draft resources when no one else on God's green earth thought the guy was going to be picked here. John is up next, 364-1100, and uh, we're getting reaction on the Raiders using 17 to get the uh, Bama uh, right tackle, right guard, Alex Leatherwood, and we're getting reaction from you guys on uh, which side you on. You on the side of Candy that you got to play the draft game, you got to get more draft capital, or are you on the side of Lincoln Kennedy and JT the Brick and Vinny over on Raider Nation, Radio 920 AM. They were all very much into the pick and defended the pick. Your call is 364-1100. John is in. Hey, John. Hey, guys. Um, I like to pick. Uh, definitely need offensive line help. But a uh, real reason I wanted to call in is, as a fellow Giants fan, I wanted to ask Candy his take on uh, the Giants trading down and taking a uh, wide receiver. Yeah, well, Candy. The, uh, we, to, to give you a quick take on that, first of all, Dave Gettleman, for the first time in his entire career as a GM with two franchises, traded back, and he picked the right time to do it. Uh, he got an extra first-round pick from the Chicago Bears. I think he probably could have gotten more, but getting a one is great. Uh, Kadarius Tony was overdrafted. That being said, I think Kadarius Tony fits a very specific need for the Giants in terms of yards after catch. I would have preferred Rashad Bateman in that spot if you're going to go receiver. So if, to put a grade on it right now, probably a B uh, for the Giants in that spot because getting the extra pick and looking at who they draft next year in the first round is going to inform what you ultimately think of what they did. But it was good draft value to get a first round pick plus two more for moving back nine spots. Three, six, four, eleven hundred, three, six, four, one, one, zero, zero. 
uh, let's go back to what Mayock was saying, because I think this is the most important thing he says. Uh, you don't trade back to get extra value if you really love the guy. And they, at 17, they love the guy. In all honesty, he was the highest rated player on our board at that time, offense or defense. So um, we need to get a lot better on defense. We recognize that. We hope to get a lot better this weekend. Uh, we got three picks tomorrow. We're excited about each and every one of them. So, again, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the board comes to us and, uh, and that we, play, we can take a, a re- three really good football players tomorrow. More from Mike Mayock on the selection of Alex Leatherwood in just a little bit. More of your calls, 364-1100. You on the side of Candy, who's irate about not playing the draft game, or the guys on Raider Nation Radio 920 were saying, cool it, man. Trust these guys. Trust Cable. We like the pick. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. I think it would have been a great pick tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, just let's keep it real. It would have been a great pick tomorrow. I don't understand why you get a second round guy early, midway through the first round. I don't care if you like him or not. He's a good player. I get it. But he's a second round guy. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Taking your calls here on a Friday, 364-1100, 364 one one zero zero. Hearing from Mike Mayock, Cofield and Company. Again, the phones are open three six four eleven hundred. I was just looking back on uh, JT the Bricks uh, tweets last night, and I listened a little bit to uh, JT and uh, Lincoln Kennedy last night talking about the pick on Raider Nation Radio nine twenty. Uh, JT and I heard Lincoln say this. Uh, Lincoln Kennedy loves the pick. He's going off right now. He played this position. Was a three time. Pro Bowler. I know JT early on uh, after the pick, and you know the, the TV folks were giving the Raiders a rash of crap. Internet's were going crazy. JT tweeted out: "National champion, Outland Trophy winner, first team All American, and you act like they drafted a bum from the Mountain West Conference." And then uh, JT was just listening a couple minutes ago and wanted to clarify that he didn't love he didn't love the pick. He didn't love the pick, but he's certainly not. He's not on the side of Candy. And that was Q Myers on the way back. And Q's reaction last night was. Hey, you know what? They could have gotten him in the second round. JT uh, responded a little while ago saying, hey, Cofield, I never said I loved or liked the pick. Uh, I wanted Darisaw or a trade-up for Parsons. I explained uh, why Kennedy and Mayock and Gruden loved the pick and why he was selected at 17. So maybe I uh, maybe I crossed the great JT. Says pretty simple analysis. And he says, great show. Thanks. I appreciate it. We're not quite as understanding. At least Candy is not. Q was not. Caleb Herring was not. Uh, so I, there's a split here. There's a split here. I'm I'm in the middle. Um, I mostly trust the Raiders on their judgment of offensive line. And I will say when the full crew wasn't there, the Brandon Parker pick was not a great pick. Um, when the full crew was there, so far, Candy, the John Simpson pick hasn't been great. But John Simpson was a pick later in the draft. But I think they were hoping that he'd be a guy who could eventually you know, plug and play down the road. Cable's awesome. Tom Cable's awesome. Uh, he's great. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, a lot of it's the draft game and what the deal is at number 17 and what you're expecting there and upside. And they believe that Leatherwood goes right in. He'll, he'll be a good player and that maybe he does have upside. And I don't know if the upside's a right tackle or right guard. We'll we'll find out. Uh, Brian's in on Cofield and Company. Hey, Brian. Hey, Steve. Long-time listener, couple-time caller. 
Thank you for the time today. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Absolutely. So, listen, the Alex Leatherwood pick, I think it's a solid pick. Um, one of the things that we needed to address right away was tackle. They did it. Um, if anyone can tell me what they needed different on the board that would have been up there, that would be a great thing to hear. But they felt they had their guy, a solid guy. Um, championship teams are built with the offensive line. You can always say that. You know, go back to the Washington Redskins with their hoggy days and even our uh, Oakland Raiders and the uh, Oakland and L.A. Raiders in the late 70s, early 80s when we won our championships were built on the offensive line with Hall of Famers. So I think the guy is a plug-and-play. Put him right in. You don't have to really do too much for him. Uh, Tom Cable's a great offensive line coach, and you go from there. Brian, you were asking who, who the other options were that they could have taken there? Is that what you, yes, you said you, you want someone to tell you? Best, who, yeah, who would have been the best person on the board at that, that we needed? I think Darius uh, was a more highly rated guy. I'm not going to sit here and, and argue over offensive line, who I like, who other people like, but Darius uh, by most accounts, was a higher-rated guy. Maybe there's something about Darisaw they don't like. I also think that the Raiders need help on defense. So Caleb Farley would have been great. I think an edge rusher uh, like uh, Pay or Jalen Phillips would have been great. They need help at linebacker. There are a lot of other options they could have gone with. I agree. They need a right tackle. Now, here's, here's the argument, Brian. Could they have gotten Leatherwood later at 48, or can they get someone close to what Leatherwood is at 48, also a tackle? And that's to be seen. We'll see who comes off the board here the first, you know, 16, 17 picks. I would agree with you with that comment. The only thing I would say is they found their guy. Now, the one, the, everyone else was screaming about a defensive player, and Micah Parsons was taken not too long in front of this pick. And everyone wanted Micah Parsons. We needed a linebacker. We needed a linebacker. You can't invest in safety again. And maybe they go day two and grab a safety today. That is fine. That's perfectly fine. But with the first-round pick, we couldn't do safety again. We just did that uh, two years ago with Abram. So you got to kind of stick to your guns. Tom Cable knows what he needed. He wanted somebody. They, okay, a good stat. They, they've said it all day today. We were first on third and ten on uh, results on our plays from third and ten, right? We were first in the league. On third and one, we were last in the league. And if you watch this kid, Leatherwood, and what he did at Alabama, he was a road grader. He moved people. They needed somebody to be able to say, hey, it's third and one. We need to run the ball. We need Jacobs to get us two yards. We need whoever our fullback is at that time to get us two yards. This kid can do it. I know he can do it, and he's played multiple positions along the offensive line. And a lot of people need to realize that. Foundation is where things start. And then you build, you know, they always say the money picks in the draft are the later rounds, right? Second, third, fourth round. Those are where we're going to get your gems. Go find a safety. Go find a plug-and-play linebacker later on in those rounds because we've already used picks on those, on those other options. They got what they needed. And I think it's going to – I think I – think, I guess what I'm trying to say is Raider Nation needs to stand by the pick, and they need to understand that these guys know what they're doing, and I think he's going to be a solid pick. He's not going to hurt the team, I can guarantee you, with that. And possibly, could you have got him later? That's perfectly fine. But on their board, that's the guy they identified. That's who they wanted, and that's who they went and got. All right, Brian, we appreciate it. But they did the same thing with – Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, they did the same thing with Cleef Earl at four. They did the same thing with Jonathan Abram. You know, they did the same thing with Lynn Bowden. There's been a history of picks that have gone the other way where people at the time when the selection was made were like, wow, that's kind of a a weird pick. That seems to be a little ahead of where most people think that guy was going. So there's, there's a mixed record on this. 
It isn't simply, and this is not the way the sports world works, and it's not the way fans of an NFL team are going to work. You don't have to stick by what your organization does. Uh, I, Candy, going back, I, I still felt a flat feeling last night as a Jets fan getting Zach Wilson. I'm like, I'm sitting there, and especially when Kuiper went nuts, I'm like, I, I, I still believe I might like Darnold and Jamar Chase as a combo more than Zach Wilson. I can you can differ from the organization. That's what being a football fan is about. Cofield, right now, how many coaches are there in the NFL? How many front offices are there in the NFL that have earned the credibility? And I mean earned the credibility to not be questioned on the pick for the fan base to say, you know what? We got to roll with it because they've been able to make diamonds out of coal for a long time. There is one. His name is Bill Belichick. That's it. Are you sure? Not an, <laughs> and I think, yes. even, I think even Belichick, the last three years, people are like, all right, Bill, you've had a kind of a tough time, buddy. He absolutely has. He also had an aging Tom Brady and then no Tom Brady. So, you know, we, uh, we certainly know where the balance of power lies there. But in the end, of course you can question it. We hope you question it. We, if you question it, call us and tell us about it. Because the Raiders don't have the track record to suggest that they should be trusted on overdrafting guys. It's not there. And if they can, more power to them. But right now, John Gruden and Mike Mayock are a one-man jury in a 32-man box, and they have one opinion. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Now, back to Cofield & Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Time for our weekly visit with Curtis Terry. No Thursday. We had to bump him for the NFL draft, but he's nice enough to move to Friday here on Cofield and Company. And of course, yesterday was the first round of the NFL draft before we get into all the basketball stuff. Curtis, I got to get your take on what happened in the draft. You are a Seattle Seahawks fan. You have a pick today, 56 in the second round, but San Fran is trying to rework things at quarterback. Maybe Jimmy G is going to be around this year, but looks like they've nabbed the guy for the future in Trey Lance, interesting pick. Very interesting pick. Interesting direction for the Niners now. Yeah, NFL draft is always fun, right? Over this long weekend that they have in terms of they put on this event. Um, and it was good to see that they got fans out there in Cleveland, even though the weather didn't look all that good. Uh, but as a Seahawks fan, I didn't have to sweat it yesterday. I knew already going into it, we had Jamal Adams. So it was a great selection that we made <laughs> in that trade from the <laughs> Jets. Um, and it's funny, though. My brother-in-law actually texted me. He was like, what, are, uh, what was up with that Raiders pick? And I had no idea what he was talking about because my son had a Little League game last night. So I didn't know what went down in the first round um, until we got home about 8, 39 o'clock last night. Uh, but the, I think the interesting storyline and, and something I know you guys are going to be hitting on over the next couple of days and who knows how long is, uh, is what discount double check Aaron Rodgers is going to do here moving forward. And hey, what do you think? This could be really cool. Aaron Rodgers has a rift with the Packers. It's been going on for a while. He's still pissed, apparently, about the pick of Jordan Love last year, which signaled, hey, the uh, you're an old man and we're moving on. Well, he's not an old man. He was awesome last year. So he's right now on the list. He's got Raiders and Niners and Broncos. And it's a massive story for the Raiders because they have a quarterback in Derek Carr, but they could upgrade with Rodgers. And the other thing is, from a preventative measure, you can't let the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers. Right. It's almost got to play a little bit of defense here uh, for, for some teams, um, especially if you're talking about like the Raiders. You know, I mean, can't let the Broncos go get him. But it's interesting because if this is something that's obviously been been kind of simmering and, and kind of festering, 
ever since they drafted Jordan Love. It's a situation where there I mean there's reports that San Francisco called the Packers on Rodgers, um, as well as well did the Rams. Um, in a situation where if you really think he's not going to come back, you would have been eager to find a trade partner to get him out of there to kind of start this process and not have this lingering and kind of floating above you. But now that Rodgers cloud is floating above Green Bay, um, and it's probably it's it's been noticed and, and noted that he's he's not the easiest guy to work with at times. Um, he could make this kind of ugly and painful. Uh, but we do know that there's going to be greener pastures for Aaron Rodgers, whether that is in the Green Bay area or elsewhere because the guy's a perennial MVP and he showed what he could do last year. And so whoever gets him on his team is going to be a favorite for sure. Hey, he's got all the leverage. Now, speaking of all the leverage, you've got some remaining players and they're still a thousand plus in the transfer portal. But, but you know, there's the highest level guys who are kind of shopping their wares and seeing where they're going to land. Let's get to UNLV and what they've done now this last week out of the transfer portal. You and I spoke last week, and I said, hey, you know, they've got Justin Webster. He's the one guy on the roster, you know, coming over from another school, Hawaii, where it was a double-figure score. They need to get some lead scorers, and this is what I suspected. They were waiting to see what was available, maybe just a layer or a uh, yeah, layer below them, a level below the Mountain West Conference. And first, UNLV goes into the portal and pulls out a kid named uh, Mike Nuga from Kent, what do you know about him? Uh, last year at Kent, he averaged seventeen eight per game, and he has been everywhere. Like he is a veteran of college basketball, right? And that's the one thing I do know about him is that he averaged seventeen and eight. So when you're ter- in terms of looking for the, looking through and sifting through the transfer portal, you get a guy like that that's still on the board and you're able to bring in. That's a huge gift for Coach Kevin Kruger and his staff. Or five, a big-time score, someone that's proven. Well, this is the kind of guy that can come in um, in, in Kent State. I've, I'm familiar with Kent State and the Golden Flash is what we did to them in the NCAA tournament. Snuffed them out to 10 points in that opening round. Uh, so they could use his scoring then, but it's a case where the Rebels are going to be able to use his scoring. And, and Coach Kruger's quietly putting together a very underrated, very competitive, a gritty team with a lot of guys that feel like they've been looked over and didn't get the opportunities at their last stops. And so I'm very excited to see how how this thing kind of finishes up what they do with these last remaining spots and then how they're going to kick roll and kick start into the, the, the summer and off season. Now I think they've got five or six guys to rotate, including the freshman Gilbert, who's uh, who is going to stick with his commitment. They've got a good rotation here and some depth at guard. Yeah, if you, if you look at the roster and you kind of really start thumbing through it, they've got some guys that can play some defense, number one, and that's what you've seen San Diego State over the years, how they've built their teams. If you can defend in the mountain, just be able to get enough points and production from your defense, and it's a case where they were able to do that from this standpoint, and as long as they can continue to add some guys, and like you mentioned, if Gilbert sticks with his commitment, like which looks like he is, um, if Nick Blake continues to grow, they're going to be able to have some guys on the wings that can be able to attack, that can be able to make some things happen, and continue to to build on this, this young first-team roster for Kevin Kruger. Um, and again, I'm excited to see what they're going to do, not just because it's Kevin and he's my buddy, but because I think the pieces that he got are guys that are hungry, that are unique, um, and have a skill set that are going to fit the style of basketball that Kevin wants to play, and also a style of basketball I think the community and the Runner Rebel fans are going to enjoy watching. Curtis Terry's on Cofield and Company, played for the Rebels, now he's the analyst on radio around UNLV basketball. Uh, guard minutes will be hard to come by, and my guess is they're going to have three guards on the floor an awful lot. Uh when you look at the front court mix now, you've really only got two true wings. Uh, you got a rotation of three or four big men. So if they do have two spots left or one, what do you think they're targeting? Are they going to target front court? Are they going to get another wing? Do they get another big? 
I think you're going to try to go with that stretch four position. Um, a guy that can play three, four, depending on which lineup you want to go to where if you're going to put him at the three, it's going to be your, probably your big lineup um, with those interior guys and put him at your three if he can step out. But then also someone to where you can kind of go small in a sense and put him out there at your four. But a guy that can pick and pop, that can make plays from that four position and try to create mismatches. Uh, because I think that's, again, a, a staple of what Coach Longkruger's done with his teams in the past. And Kevin is kind of obviously coming from that coaching tree with what they had with Brady Manick um, over there at Oklahoma, obviously with Joe Darger, Wendell White, guys here that Coach Kruger coached with um, and that Coach Kevin Kruger played with. Um, and so I think it's going to be someone in that set to where they're going to try to fill that in, someone that can create a mismatch uh, because they're going to be loaded on the wings, loaded on the guards, and finally they've got two big guys in rotation that are going to be able to go down there and battle inside. The other thing I like about this roster between Coleman, McCabe, Nuga, Webster, uh, Kashan Gilbert, and Josh Baker, you've got three or four guys there who can actually give you minutes at the point, Coleman, and McCabe are the lead, but you know if there's an injury, you're not down to no one playing the point. And I'm sure Nick Blake's looking around like, okay, this is kind of what I signed up for. Like I don't know that I want to play point guard. And last year, last year, poor Nick as a freshman at six six was out there trying to break the press as a point guard. So now he can settle back into where he's more comfortable on the wing. Yeah, it's, it's always good. The more ball handlers that you have, more guys that cre- can create, can attack from the wings and kind of set up them teammates, set up their teammates, set up themselves um, and kind of run the show. That's going to be good. And so I think last year, even though Nick Blake had his struggles, had his growing pains, I think that's going to benefit him moving forward in his career, whether he's going to be able to make plays from that point guard position. But if not, we definitely know that Nick Blake is a slasher and a scorer. So when he's able to get on that wing and run the lane and just look to attack and get his nose to the rim, he's going to have success. And so I think this is more of what he signed up for in terms of getting out in transition, fast-paced, guys that can block shots and run and play defense. This is going to be a fun team to watch. Curtis Terry's with us. I saw that uh, uh, Kinjo, the uh, former point you know, guard at Arizona, transferred to Baylor. Uh, Baylor reloading. What kind of player is he that Baylor's getting and Scott Drew is getting? I mean, James Akinjo, a guy that transferred from Georgetown originally to Arizona to play for Sean Miller. Uh, my brother Jason was high on him in his time there when he was working with him in the backcourt. Uh, but this is a guy, James Akinjo, is going to be able to, to move over to Baylor and kind of fill that, that role that Mitchell's going to be vacating. Um, a guy that can make shots for them. Defensively not going to be as tough and as stout in terms of guarding the ball, but is a guy that can create and play off the bounce for himself, for his teammates. But again, just gives them another weapon. And you mentioned Coach Drew reloading. I mean, that's exactly what they're doing. They're reloading. They're still tough in the recruit game um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of meshes because it's always interesting to me when a team has a lot of success say Baylor and they win it and then they bring in guys that were at other places it's almost like some of those guys are going to try so hard because they want to have that success and have the moment that they just previously missed out on if it's all going to gel but I think coach Scott Drews is, is good enough in terms of what he does managing personalities that they should hit the ground running here come this fall you know I skipped ahead of one more UNLV topic uh, I think devastating is kind of a ridiculous word, but um, how damaging was the decommit of Arthur Kaluma? He was a guy who was tied to Zion Collins. He had two top 50 recruits in the Otzelberger class that was coming in. Uh, they kind of they lose that guy you were just talking about a couple minutes ago about going out and getting a matchup problem, a stretch for, you know, kind of a tweener at 3-4. Uh, what do you think about the loss of Kaluma? You know, obviously it's tough in terms of just on paper the, the, how he was ranked in, in his standing in terms of the, the 2021 class. But I think a lot of the times that people can can get caught up on that. But it really comes down to the relationship that the coach has with that recruit. Because if they're on the same page, if they don't mesh, it doesn't matter how good the kid is. They come in here and they're just not going to be able to mesh and gel with their teammates and play for the right reasons and be sold on the vision of the, of the program as it currently stands with this coach as opposed to what it was under TJ. 
I mean, it, he could have all these stars and be ranked top 20. It, it's not going to work out. And so I think in that situation where uh, best of luck to Arthur Kaluma moving on. Uh, but then again, it looks like not only did TJ take off for Iowa State, but all his recruits mostly have, have went different directions as well since then. Um, and so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing uh, but it, because I, I truly believe in what Kevin is doing, how he's building this team and how he built his staff. This is going to pay off dividends for them moving forward. And, you know, uh, was, Kaluma was an Ots recruit. Who was his connect on the staff? Um, I think TJ was the main recruiter on him, okay. um, from what I know. But I know, I know, I do know that TJ is a very ferocious recruiter. He's going to go after kids, and he's going to hound them once he gets in there. Um, and, but I do know Kevin has a different style, and as well as Coach Hartman, um, Coach Buckley, um, and Coach Chappelle. So it's, it's interesting to see how you kind of, in terms of the recruiting and the whispers that you hear between the AAU coaches and the high school coaches, the way that they go about business is so much different than the way kind of TJ and his staff um, had that narrow laser focus on, on, on certain recruits. Curtis, let's close with a, a look at the NBA, and we're we're getting close to the end of the season here. Most teams have nine or ten games left. Uh, first of all, looking at the East picture, my God, the Knicks with this run are all the way up uh, inside the top four at 35 and 28. Are they for real? Because I think you've got some good teams that haven't played as well as they should have this year. Like, are the Knicks better than the Celtics? Can the Knicks actually win a first-round series? Will they do damage in these Eastern Conference playoffs? I think the Knicks are for real this year. Okay. That's for sure. And I was having a conversation with a friend about this the other day. It's funny how you look at the standings right now. The Knicks and the Raptors have flip-flopped spots over the last year and a half. I mean, yeah. the, the Knicks used to be at the bottom of the East. The Raptors um, were the ones obviously kind of set in the tone. Um, and, and the Raptors are struggling. And I think that's that's mainly because of how they constructed their team. No offense against Fred Van Vliet or Pascal Siakam. But I don't think those are two guys that you're going to give over combined $200 million to to be able to lead your team into deep playoff runs. They're going to have to retool. Uh, but I think with the Knicks and what they're doing with Julius Randle, Coach Tibbs is playing a huge factor in that, obviously. But I think having D. Rose in there to kind of be a veteran, to kind of lead these guys, and he understands what it's going to take to be successful in the East in the playoffs. I like what they're doing, but with this being an abbreviated season, um, it's starting late. And them also not playing in the bubble, they've been sitting and resting for a long time. So I'm curious to see how they're going to transpire over the course of a full season. So this year is fun. This playoff run is going to be fun for them. But I'm curious to see if they can keep this up next year for a full 82-game schedule. It's fascinating how it's setting up right now. If it, if it uh, started today, the sixth seed is Boston. The seventh seed is Miami, the de- defending conference champion. Uh, I would still be very afraid of those teams. If I were sitting in the uh, two and three hole, and right now in the two spot is Philly and three is Milwaukee, very good teams, but those those are not easy matchups in that two seven three six. Yeah, no, and, and it's funny because the Celtics they haven't been themselves, and obviously they had a lot of impacts due to COVID earlier in the season. Um, the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler missed a ton of games due to COVID, and they I think they were kind of riding that high of making it to the NBA Finals in the bubble last summer um, or late fall, and and couldn't quite get back on track after that and get back together. Uh, but so you always got to worry about the Celtics. I just don't know if they've got their true leader as good as Jason Tatum is, Jalen Brown, uh, Kimball Walker. I don't think they got a guy that's really true enough to really rally the troops in the locker room and get everybody on board and pointing in the right direction. Um, and I think that's what, what Coach Brad Stevens is lacking. But then again, if the if the Nets can get healthy, they're going to be a problem, and I think they don't have any trouble. But then aside from them, I, I like I like what Embiid's doing, and I like what Doc Rivers is doing with the Sixers, but I still like Giannis and the Bucks. I think them adding Drew Holiday is a whole other dynamic to their team. allows frees up uh, uh, Giannis a whole bunch, allows him to kind of go to the post, play off the ball a little bit, let other guys facilitate and take some of that pressure off him. So I think the East is going to be much more fun in terms of a playoff standpoint than it has been in years past. I think both conferences are going to be crazy. 
And we, uh, yeah. you know, in the end, we it seems like the favorites make it through. And every year, I'm like, it's balanced. There's going to be big upsets. Well, and last year there were upsets because the Heat were not expected to be the Eastern Conference team. I wonder who can upset the Apple Card and take out the Lakers or the Clippers in the West. I think the Lakers might end up taking themselves out. I mean, because LeBron's missed, I mean, almost 20 consecutive games. AD came back and it was slow and he had to work that rust off. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see if they can get back on track and get rolling because obviously you see what the Jazz are doing. You see what Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and, and DeAndre Ayton and the Suns, they've got it rolling right now. Uh, the Clippers are going to be the Clippers. They're going to be great one night. They're going to be terrible the next night. <laughs> they've got to find that consistency. Um, but I think the interesting thing is going to be this playing games. I think there's going to be teams that might get caught, that might get snuffed out here because of having to play these playing games and the way that's going to shake out through 7 through 10. I think it's fun for the fans. It's going to add another dynamic kind of like the NCAA tournament. But kind of like Mark Cuban, Luka Doncic, all these guys in the NBA have been talking about like that playing game is it's it's kind of a joke, it's kind of a gimmick because they play all year for those standings. But then if you finish tenth, you might be able to sneak in the back door. Um, and so I think that could catch some people off guard. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it's going to be a very fun NBA playoffs and much more enjoyable. Um, even though as much as fun as the bubble was last summer, I think this is going to be a better uh, full picture of what the NBA really is and how much how much parity there is across the board. I don't ever want to see a bubble again. No more bubble. We want no. fans back. We want home and road. Let's get back to normal. I'm fired up about it. Uh, very much so in the NBA. Curtis, have a great weekend. We appreciate it. We'll see you. Thanks, Steve. We'll talk to you soon. There he is, Curtis Terry. Busy, busy day here on Cofield and Company. Just after 3 o'clock, we're going to get into what the Raiders will do here on day two of the NFL draft. Should they get aggressive and move up to the top of the second round? And we're about 15 minutes away from checking in on the Vegas Golden Knights with Darren Millard. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.